Acts chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Wow, what a passage. What a Bible reading. Why don't we pray and ask for the Lord's help to help us understand. Let's pray. Father, we believe that as we gather here in Jesus' name, that your very Holy Spirit is in our midst and within each of us who have put our personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us, Father, for all the ways we've taken for granted the nearness and the gift of your Holy Spirit. And please, would you grant that your Spirit would help us to live in line with the reality of this great gift of the Spirit with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I have never played racquetball, but I have very recently been inspired by the story of Ruben Gonzalez. You may have never heard of him, so let me tell you a little bit about the most famous point in his life, or at least what he's most well known for. You see, in 1985, Ruben was on his first racquetball pro tour. He was up against the reigning champion who was called Marty Hogan, and the, the game was tied at two games apiece. And then in the fifth game, the reigning champion was serving what could have been his match point. Here the win was in the champ's grasp. But after a furious rally between the two players, Gonzalez slammed a kill shot with his forehand, which Hogan missed. The referee called the shot good, 
Hogan, the champion's heart, surely sunk, realizing that this new upstart might be taking his long-standing reign as, Go as Gonzalez now had the chance to have the serve again and possibly win the game. But then something happened that absolutely astonished the crowd. Ruben Gonzalez overruled the referee and called his own shot to win back the serve, what's called a skip, which means that he acknowledged that as he hit the ball, it first hit the floor before it hit the wall. I guess in racquetball, it's supposed to just hit the wall. But he said, no, before it hit the wall, my shot ever so briefly hit the floor. Before it hit the wall, it skipped, I'm out, and he walked off the court. This means that his competitor, Hogan, won and Ruben was out of the tournament. tournament. Now he was shown as a result of what happened on the National Racquetball Magazine on the front cover. And here it is. Here's Ruben Gonzalez back in 1985. I love that hair. I wish I had hair like that. And I'm not sure if you can quite see it there. But the, off to the, the right of his picture, it says, Gonzalez shows his medal in Arlington, which is Arlington, Virginia, where the tournament was happening. And above it, you can see in quotes in the white, it skipped, which is what he said about his own shot as he walked off the court. In the magazine, the editor of it is exploring why this happened in the sport of racquetball when it had never, ever happened, anything like it, ever before. And Ruben said, well, it was the only thing I could do to maintain my integrity. And he went on to have a very fruitful career in the sport and to be very highly respected. Now, if that's how a sports person can treat the matter of integrity with regards to their game, how much more do you think you and I should take seriously the matter of integrity if we are Christians who claim to be saved by Jesus' death on the cross and to live under his name, people who seek to live in obedience to him? Many of us have seen the damage done by uh, religious people who put on a show on the outside, kind of a, a holy pretense, especially maybe when they come to church. But then we learn behind the scenes that their life doesn't line up with their public persona. Maybe they mistreat their housemates uh, really harshly or their family members or mistreat other people in a very bad way and do so in a way that's unrepentant. They keep on doing this. And so a gap grows between who they present themselves as and who they actually are. And of course, this is a danger in every one of our lives, not least in those of us who lead in God's church. And here in today's passage, we look at the work of the Holy Spirit in this story of a man called Ananias and his wife called Sapphira. And here we see how seriously, how very seriously, 
The Lord takes the matter of integrity in the Christian life and in our lives together as Christians in the gathered church. I know each of us, I'm sure, wants to grow in our integrity. And I think this passage is in the Bible in great measure so that we can find help uh, in learning how to live uh, with greater integrity and how to live with integrity as a Christian church, which means acknowledging our weakness rather than cloaking it. Living integrity can be hard, so how can we grow in it? Well, we need help, and two things that I would hope we can see in this passage to help us. One thing to remember and one thing to do. First, one thing to remember. Remember, when we come to church, we are coming to the Holy Spirit, who is God, and we dare not pretend before him. When we come to the church, we are coming to the Holy Spirit, who is God, and we dare not pretend before him. So the scene for our passage is set at the end of the prior chapter in chapter 4, right before chapter 5. And there the apostles were preaching about the Lord Jesus with such power that the Christians were stirred to give of their own possessions to help other Christians who were in need. So some more wealthy Christians who had extra property or houses sold those property, that, that property or that land, and took the, the, the profit from that and came and laid it at the apostles' feet so that it could be distributed to those who were poor. It's, there were many, many poor and needy people in the church. So when the end of chapter 4 says that none of them had any need, what it means is not that there weren't poor people there. There were lots of poor people in the midst of the Christian church, having believed in Christ, uh, just like the more wealthy Christians had. But those that had more gave of their wealth to help those in need, so that the Lord was working so powerfully there was no obvious inequality among them in terms of having the basics to live life. Imagine. And in that work of the Spirit, a man named Barnabas sells a property and brings the whole of it and lays it at the apostles' feet at the end of chapter 4. And the apostles distribute it to those who are in need. And I guess at this point we're to imagine Ananias and Sapphira looking on and Ananias in particular thinking, hmm, I'd like to be honored like that Barnabas is being honored. I've got an extra property. Hey, Sapphira, let's, let's sell it. And yet we, we do have this debt or this other need, so we'll keep part of it back. But we'll go and pretend like we're giving the whole of the cost of the property to the apostles, and we'll get the same honor that Barnabas got. I guess that's the story reading between the lines. And so with his wife's full knowledge, he sells it, he brings part of the money to Peter, but giving the, the full impression that it's the whole, here, here, Peter, here's the amount for the land that we sold, communicating that as if it were the whole uh, 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 profit that he made, when in fact he and his wife kept back a significant portion for themselves. You see, he thought he could come to church living a double life, 
presenting himself one way, when all the while he knew full well the reality was so different. You see, he was thinking of church mainly in, as if it were a group of people only. And he could fool people. So there wasn't any great risk in coming to Peter and, you know, telling this little, oh, I'm being really generous. What's it matter if I hold a bit back? But he made a fatal mistake. He forgot that when we come to church, yes, we're coming amid other Christians. But within us as Christians who truly believe in Christ is the Holy Spirit. And he loves to be in our midst in a special way when we gather in Jesus' name. And so when we come to church, we're coming to the Holy Spirit, who is God, and we dare not pretend before him. So look down at what Peter says to Ananias in verses 3 and 4. He's presented his gift. He's given the impression it's the full cost of the property. And Ananias, Peter says to him, how is it? that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? You see, he was under no obligation to sell it. He didn't have to. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? He's more than welcome, of course, to keep part of the profit back and just bring the other portion and give it. It was all at his disposal. He was under no obligation. What made you think of doing such a thing? You've lied not just to human beings, but to God. You see, when we come to church, we're coming to the Holy Spirit, who is God, and we dare not pretend before him. Did you notice how the Holy Spirit is equated with God in this passage? Look at verse 3. How has Satan so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? And then at the end of uh, uh, verse 4, you have not lied to human beings but to God. And so here you see the Holy Spirit is equated with being fully God. Lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. The Holy Spirit is not just a, a great power, though he is an expression of God's power. He's not merely power. He's fully God. He does give force for obedience and life, but he's not merely a kind of life force. He is God. You can only lie to a personal being. And so here, in this passage, it's one of the key ones in the New Testament where Christians came to believe that the Holy Spirit is fully God, just as Jesus is fully God. And the Father is fully God, and yet they believed from the very beginning, from the Jewish tradition, that there's only one God, which led them to the conclusion that there's one God who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This little diagram, which will come up on the screen, is a kind of a way that this has been explained in the past. So there's one God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so there's unity in God and that there's only one God, and yet there's somehow in the mystery of the Trinity, there's a wonderful distinction in God in that the Father is not the Son, who is not the Spirit, who is not the Father. Each of the three is fully God. None is less God than the other. They all are fully divine. And yet there's a beautiful distinction between them. And this passage is one of the key ones that helped the church realize the Holy Spirit is God and God is triune. 
So when we come to church, we're coming in the midst of the Holy Spirit who is fully God. Now what I'm not saying is then we only should come to church when we're feeling perfect. Have you felt that way at all this week? Have you felt like you've obeyed God completely uh, and then you can only come to church once that's all squared away? Of course not. None of us are that. I'm saying that when we come to church, we want to know that God wants us to come honestly, admitting who we are, telling the truth about who we are, not trying to be something we're not, not thinking that church is a place that only people go to when their life is fully together, but a place where people go when they're falling all apart, where they can be honest about that. We don't want to fall prey to Ananias' temptation. You see, I think he's a Christian. Uh, chapter 4, verse 32 says, All the believers were in one heart and of one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. And Ananias comes out of this group of believers. So I think that Ananias truly believed in Jesus Christ and had the Holy Spirit in his life. I can't be certain, but the text doesn't go out of its way to tell us that he wasn't a Christian. He's, he's, he's within the church, and he and his wife come, but he's tempted by the evil one, we're told. Peter says to him, how could Satan so have filled your heart? And you might be thinking, how could a Christian, if he really was a Christian, sin so badly? But maybe you've looked around the church and you have seen Christians who have sinned really, really badly. And you're trying to understand, well, how could that be? And I think it's a little bit like this. I, I brought this little um, illustration here. And I, I couldn't find ping pong balls, so I've used these Nerf gun bullets. Have you ever used one of these Nerf guns that can shoot the bullets? Uh, well, sometimes in youth group, they come in church and have a Nerf gun war. It's the best thing. I would really encourage it. But let's pretend that this is a, this is a, a holy person. And each of us have sinned against God. And let's pretend these nasty bullets is our sinful nature and the sins that we've committed. And before we come, become a Christian... Uh, we, can't, we can't get this out, try and shake it out as we can, and it, you know, it, it won't, we can't get rid of our own sin. But when we believe in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for us, the guilt of our sin is taken away. And because of that, God can actually begin to cleanse us. He completely forgives us, and then he begins to cleanse us by filling us with the Holy Spirit. And as he does that, there's a battle with sin in our lives, and sin begins to work its way out of us. And you can see, is it all going to, I hope it really falls out. <laughs> you can see the, the sins coming out, right? The Holy Spirit does this work of purifying us from within. But then, of course, in the Lord Jesus' life, he was tempted, but no sin ever went, ever, ever went in. But we as Christians, even though we're filled with the Holy Spirit, sometimes can fall prey to temptation. And it's as if the sin tries to work its way back into us. And some of the Spirit and His influence, though He's still inside of us and filling us, He, he doesn't have full sway over us because we're, we're allowing the sin to come back into our lives. 
And so we, we, we always have a temptation with sin. This is always a dynamic in the Christian life where we're feeling tempted and, and having various degrees of struggle with sin. But for Ananias, it was as if when he fell prey to this temptation, it was as if the bullets were pushed right through. And, and he was taken over. He gave himself over and was swayed by the evil one and did this. And so I'm so grateful that we have a chance to come for weekly confession and say sorry to Christ and be uh, acknowledged to what degree uh, we've, we've failed in the week, week gone prior and to pray again for the filling of his spirit afresh so that he can have more of us and more of our, more of our obedience. So I wonder what it is that's the battle for you right now. And the last thing I would have you hear is, well, you're battling, kind of go away and sort that out and then come to church. <laughs> no. I'm saying we all come to church with this struggle and what we don't want to do is fall into the temptation. The real warning here is falling into a temptation of a double life where we present one thing among Christians and then live a really different thing when we're with a different crowd. That's the challenge here. You see, when we come to church... We're coming to the Holy Spirit, who is God. And so let's just not pretend before him. That's the thing to remember. And now finally, as I wrap up, the thing to do. And actually, the thing to do is twofold. It's to resolve not to test the Holy Spirit on the negative side. And then it's to put on the fear of the Lord on the positive side. It's kind of two sides of one coin. Here's what we do. We resolve not to test the Holy Spirit, and instead we fear the Lord. Something to put off and something to put on its, in its place. Put off testing the Holy Spirit and put on the fear of the Lord. And here is where we come on to the story of Sapphira, Ananias' wife. Look at verses 5 through 7. When Ananias, Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward and wrapped up the man's body and carried him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Now here, Sapphira stands at a key crossroads in her life. And you know what the hopeful thing is? She could have told the truth here. She could have said... No, it's Peter, it wasn't. My husband lied. I've lied. I'm sorry. And she would have known the forgiveness of, of God. She would have been filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. The church would have worked with her uh, to restore her and support her. But here at this key crossroads, she too chooses to live a double life. And she says, yes, Peter, it was the full price for the land. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And I think as Peter said this, I imagine a tear just went down his cheek thinking, if only you had dared to tell the truth, you would have known the gospel, you would have known love and acceptance and freedom. But she lied. And then she sadly died. 
And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these offense. So let us resolve, unlike Sapphira, learning from her negative example, to not test the Holy Spirit. We do this when we intentionally sin, thinking that we can get away with it, and keeping our eyes mainly on people instead of the holiness of God, uh, we allow ourselves to think, well, it's not going to matter and no one's going to see. But of course, when we come to church, we're coming to the Holy Spirit and he sees. You see, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He was once around a bunch of obviously imperfect tax collectors and other sinful people, people who had bad reputations. And he was getting crit for hanging out with this rough-and-tumble crowd who absolutely adored being with him. Jesus attracted people who knew that their life wasn't all together. And he got criticism for hanging out with them. And once receiving that criticism, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I've not come to save those who think they are righteous, but sinners. So if you're living a double life, I am so glad that you are here. Jesus is for you just as he is for me. But please, brother, please, sister, stop daring to test the Holy Spirit. Decide today to end a life of duplicity by being honest with a few trusted Christian people about the nature of the struggle you're in. Know that we've all experienced it to varying degrees, and we're not going to look down on you or wag a finger or judge you. We're going to say, my goodness, we've been there. How can we walk with you? We've faced this temptation. How can we support you? Confess your sins to a few trusted people, and you'll know Christ's forgiveness and his freedom. Now, of course, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit works today in exactly the same way he did in the early church in terms of the severity of the discipline that we see here. Here the gospel is just being established. The New Testament isn't yet fully written. The apostles are just beginning to spread the message. Uh, many thousands of people were being added to the church at such a rate that the Holy Spirit had to be very careful to Communicate to the church at its foundation, we must be pure in our obedience and not play games with holiness. But though he doesn't always often work in the same, with the same degree of severity that we see here, he does still discipline those that he loves. And I've known this discipline in my own life when I've sinned and seen uh, the, the Lord's kind of gentle correction and discipline, and he's allowed me to feel the pain of sin until I confessed it, often to Julie or a few trusted uh, friends, and then received fresh forgiveness and power to live an obedient life. What we want is to live privately as if our private lives could be revealed publicly without any shame. We want to live privately as if the truth of our private lives could be revealed publicly without any shame. And if there is a gaping duplicity in life, confess, share the struggle in appropriate circles, and put off testing the Lord. Put off, that's what we do. 
And then the other side of the coin, we put on the fear of him. Finally, look at verses 5 and verses 11. When Ananias, Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Great fear seized uh, all that had heard what had happened. And then verse 11. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, of course, there's a bad fear in life where we fear circumstances or we fear people and we fear things and make them bigger than God. And that's a sinful kind of fear. But here we clearly see that it was very healthy that the church and the, and the public that surrounded it was afraid. It was a healthy fear. And so there's a good fear of the Lord. Uh, the, the book of Proverbs speaks about this with such, uh, such consistency. It's captured in this young person's drawing that I found, who was trying to capture what they had been taught of the fear of the Lord. And here, uh, I guess the youth draws themselves uh, falling before uh, Jesus Christ on the throne, a holy God, and you get a picture of his glory, his majesty, his holiness, and the fear of the Lord being uh, uh, an awe, a reverence, uh, and a, a saying, I can't hide from you. You see all anyways, so let me be real before you. Let me just tell the truth. That's what fear of the Lord is. It's not being perfect in your obedience. It's being perfectly honest as much as you can be, first with God and then with a trusted Christian people around you. We're about to come to the Lord's table together after we sing. Uh, Stephen, who's been coming to City for quite some time and who is a, an ordained Anglican minister, will be leading us in the table after we sing. But as we close and prepare to come to the Lord's table, remember not perfection but honesty before God. God really takes integrity in our Christian life and in his church seriously. He doesn't want us to live a double life. Why would you want to live one? It's not a happy place to be. It saps your joy. Jesus came not for the spiritually healthy, but for those who know they are spiritually sick, which is all of us because we sin. So let's not pretend. Remember, when we come to church, we come to the Holy Spirit, who is God. We dare not pretend before him. Instead, we want to put off the ways we've been testing him and put on the fear of him. I'm going to pray as the musicians come up and then Stephen will, they'll lead us in a song and Stephen will come and lead us in the table. Let's pray. So Lord, as we sing, we want to say our life is not our own. There are many ways in which we've struggled and we know that you see what's going on in our hearts and Please, would you expose the ways we, we have been living a double life and testing you. And thank you for this chance we have now as we come around the table and it reminds us of Jesus' cross and the forgiveness that's there and his resurrection and the life to live uh, in joy and obedience in the Holy Spirit that's available to us. Lord, help us to truly come to Christ and be honest with him and serve him. In his name we pray. Amen.